Okay, first question on chapter 38, Genesis 38. Yes. Okay, two questions. Uh, the first one is, could you put the narrative about Judah in uh, contrast or just in unison with the Joseph narrative? Right, you mentioned that this, this began after Joseph was sold into slavery. But then as far as, I mean, he had... He got married, he had children. The children were old enough to get married themselves. One died, the other one remarried. Then it was some time afterwards that he went into Tamar. So where does that fall in relationship to everything that happened with Joseph in Egypt? And when they go to Egypt, does that make sense? Well, Joseph was sold as a slave when he was 17, and he became the ruler of Egypt at age 30. So it happens in that 13-year period. These events have to happen sometime in that 13-year period. Is that your question? Well, yeah, so all of these events with Judah happened before they went to Egypt? It has, yep, before they went to Egypt. Egypt. Yeah. So was there, Joseph became ruler at 30, mm -hmm. and then, okay. I'm just trying to put it together. If, if he didn't marry her until... If he didn't marry the Canaanite woman until after Joseph was sold at 17, and Joseph became ruler at 30, that's 13 years, then how could there be enough time for him to have children, the children get old enough to get married themselves, him deny Tamar uh, to his youngest son? Right there, there, it seems like there has to be at least 20 years. Okay, so, okay, okay. But then when they actually go to Egypt, that's when Joseph is 39. Because there were seven years of plenty, two years of famine, five more years of famine to go, and they arrived. So there was about 22 years. 22. So this all happens in before yes. they go down. Okay. Yeah, before they go. Okay. And by the time they do go, even the, uh, the son Perez, he had two sons, Hezron and Hamul. So he married young and had two sons already. So that would have been even more solidified in Judah's mind that God has seen and found out. Because he would have already learned by this experience that God sees and finds out uh, what we do, even if we do it in secret, he knows, and those things are revealed. So, okay. So that was the first question. And then the other one, oh, just how much of uh, the law they understood before Moses and Mount Sinai in terms of adultery, execution, but even things like that it was right for the brother to marry the, widow. the wife, the widow, and have offspring with them. So could you just talk about their knowledge of how would they have known these things if the law of Moses hadn't been written yet? How would they have known these things about adultery, the penalty for adultery, and even what's here, it's um, what's happening in chapter 38 and Deuteronomy 25, it's, and Ruth, it's called Leverite marriage, L-E-V-I-R, coming from a Latin word which means brother, meaning brother, a relative, marrying the widow. Uh, it's not the same word as Levi, though it has a similar spelling, it's not the same word. So this Leverite marriage that happens here, all of this would have been known from the time of Adam and Eve. 
All of it would have been known from the very beginning and then transferred from generation to generation. Right. Whatever Adam and Eve needed to know, they would have been taught by God and then they would have taught their children these truths. That's one. Number two, it would have been self-evident. Self-evident that if we're supposed to be fruitful and multiply and you have a concern for your brother, then what, how will you help your deceased brother? How will you help and not be selfish? Marry his widow. So it would have been self-evident that way. Then it becomes written in terms of our own experience or access to it in Deuteronomy 25 in the Law of Moses. So those would have been the ways. A fourth way might be a special revelation since many of these same men were prophets. Perhaps they were told that way and that's how they taught the people. But all of them are possibilities. Certainly they are all possibilities of how they knew. For example, in Genesis chapter 26, 26, And verse 5, it says of Abraham, Genesis 26, 5, Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. He obeyed me, kept my charge, commandments, statutes, and laws. Abraham obeyed. Which means that there were more than we have written in the book of Genesis. That was well known. And Abraham obeyed. Okay? Yes? I'm curious. Uh, in Leviticus 20, 12, it says, If there is a man who lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed incest. Their blood guttless is, is upon them. So he, she was his, Cameron was her, was his daughter-in-law. So they broke the law. Of course, I know this is after everything's been written down. Yes, Exodus, uh, sorry, Leviticus 20, verse 12. Leviticus 20, 12. If there is a man who lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed incest. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. That's correct. So Judah, being blinded by his own sin, was only saying that she needed to be put to death, but he also should have been put to death. But in that, their case, both of them were not put to death after Judah realized his, his, his sin. Yes. Yes, that's correct. Both of them should have been, but he was blinded and until she sent the evidence for him to investigate. Then he says, he, he recognized it, and then he said, she is more righteous than I. Even it says in verse 14, if there is a man who marries a woman and her mother, it is immorality. Both he and they shall be burned with fire, that there may be no immorality in your midst. So both parties in verse 14 also, in 12 and 14, both parties. So just in case they didn't follow through. They didn't, they didn't follow through. 
Even in uh, Leviticus 20.10, if there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. It's important to notice that the verses in Leviticus say that, as well as other places in Scripture. That's why, uh, in order to prevent the charge that the Bible is a misogynistic book, or the Old Testament is misogynistic, that they, the, the God of the Old Testament hates women, doesn't give them fair treatment. Many people have said that. Uh, many false interpreters of the Bible say that. Even scholars say that. But it's all wrong. It's, it's untrue. And here it says both of them. Yes. It says both. Yes. And in John chapter 8, which they bring up as a pretext to avoid any kind of punishment and even to justify sin. In John 8, the woman caught in adultery. Yeah. That narrative should be renamed. No doubt. The man and woman caught in adultery. Because they didn't do anything with the man. They caught her. Yes, because they said in the very act. They say in the very act, and, and John reports it as in the very act, and yet where's the man? Yeah. And I think the, the man was one of them. That's why they all walked away, because they didn't want, the one didn't want to be stoned, or there was more than one, and they didn't want to be stoned to death along with the woman. So since it was... Uh, um, uh, a false trial that they presented to Christ. He let her go, and he let the rest go. I always wondered if it was a Pharisee or a Sadducee. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because the law does say, like we just read in Leviticus 20.10 and Deuteronomy 22.22, the adulterer and the adulteress shall both be put to death. Yes. In uh, Leviticus chapter 18. Yes. Leviticus. A more um, complete glimpse of what the Canaanites were like in their sexual immorality, and uh, and uh, Moses says that uh, all of these sexual abominations were committed by these people, and so don't you do them. Mm -hmm. And uh, he says that whether any of your own nation or any of them are doing this, they need to be put to death. Well, my question is, is isn't that rampant in America today? Isn't this kind of lifestyle yes. uh, uh, just celebrated mm -hmm. in our society today? It is. It is. Yes, Leviticus 18 is a parallel to Leviticus 20 and Deuteronomy 22. And he does say at the beginning of the chapter in the first paragraph and at the end of the chapter in the last paragraph that the sexual sins he's prohibiting here are practiced by the Canaanites. Right. Actually in Egypt and also among the Canaanites. And he prohibits the people of Israel from practicing the same. And yes, it's true. These sins are common in the United States. Actually, they're common worldwide in many nations. Worldwide. And nobody does anything. They just wink. Nobody does anything. The innocent are found guilty and the guilty are never prosecuted. 
Why? Because people don't take sin seriously. They don't understand the nature of sin, the gravity of sin, the consequences, the deserved consequences of sin. They don't, and therefore they don't do anything. And if we take his sin seriously, then we've got to take our own sin seriously. Yes. People love to commit sin. People love to commit. Exactly. Yes. So you make everything light, and then you can do whatever you please. Yes. Yes. Lower the standard because you don't meet up the meet up with the standard too. You don't uh, live up to it. Therefore, if we have to punish him, the other man, we have to punish ourselves. But the reality is that God's going to punish everybody. The reality, God's going to punish everyone one day, anyways. He will. So we better repent now. Man has yeah. a tendency to rename sin. They don't call it adultery, they call it an affair. Yes, yes. That's how we excuse it. We so, rename things. Yeah. We give them euphemistic names, sugar coated names. Right. Yes. I was just wondering uh, if they, uh, in, in the investigation, they thought that she had maybe had been a temple prostitute. Uh, Verse 16 where it said he turned aside to her and then they, so they, anyway, you said he went to to come in to to come in to me and uh, so it had, it probably was a building, would that have been a temple, some kind of the It doesn't, you're asking about whether, since uh, they call her a temple prostitute, was there a building? Perhaps so. It doesn't say whether there was a building. It doesn't say whether there was a shrine. It doesn't say whether there was a, a brothel house. It doesn't say anything like that. But because the men of the place had no knowledge of it, it's likely the case that a woman was just waiting there and then they went to some secluded place, maybe, who knows, behind some trees or behind a, behind a big rock. Or they went somewhere out of the sight of the people on the path. Because if a building were there, then the men would have said, well, yeah, there was a building, but then we demolished it two days ago. You know, they didn't say anything about a building. If the building were there, then the men would have known that prostitutes were there. But, so in this case, it's likely just some place secluded on the roadside. Was it common with paganism uh, that there was prostitution connected with the temples and the worship? Yes, yeah. practice? Yes, was it common for there to be prostitution in the temples? Yes. Yes, there was. Um... In terms of the worship of pagan idols, in 1 Kings 
15. 1 Kings 15, it says, He also put away the male cult prostitutes from the land and removed all the idols which his fathers had made. And he also removed Makah, his mother, from being queen mother because she had made a horrid image as an Asherah. And Asa cut down her horrid image and burned it at the brook Kidron. That means that these cult prostitutes, why are they called cult prostitutes? Uh, and even in Genesis 38, it says a temple prostitute. The word cult in reference to this has to do with having to do with the rituals of the temple. We use the word cult primarily today to refer to a deviant form of Christianity. A deviant form like Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian scientists, uh, the way. These are cults. And we use it in that way. But occasionally in the Bible and in scholarship, they use the word cult to refer to the complex of rituals, the system of rituals that are involved in a temple, in the temple worship. They call it cult like that. So a part of those rituals in the temple would be to provide the worshipers with cult prostitutes, temple prostitutes that were involved in the worship of their deities, their idols. There would be males and there would be females. Usually males for other males, the worshipers, and the females for the male worshipers. Or whatever, yes. And also go back to when we see the golden calf created, and what did they immediately start doing in the worship of it? They started prostituting, you know, prostituting, going crazy with sexual activities amongst themselves. Yes, yes. Yes. Um, in Numbers 25, when they joined with the Moabites, yes, they were practicing idolatry and sexual immorality in Numbers 25. Yes. Hosea 4, 12 to 14. Hosea 4, 12 to 14. Hosea 4, 12 to 14. Hosea chapter 4, verse 12. We'll start at 4.11. Um, harlotry, wine, and new wine take away the understanding. My people consult their wooden idol, and their diviner's wand informs them. For a spirit of harlotry has led them astray, and they have played the harlot, departing from their God. They offer sacrifices on the tops of the mountains and burn incense on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth, because their shade is pleasant. Therefore, your daughters play the harlot, and your brides commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they play the harlot or your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go apart with harlots and offer sacrifices with temple prostitutes. So the people without understanding are ruined. They offer sacrifices with temple prostitutes or cult prostitutes. And speaking of that, there's another one in 2 Kings 
23, 2 Kings 23, 7. 2 Kings 23, 7. Josiah and what Josiah did to rid the land of this. 2 Kings 23, 7. He also broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes which were in the house of the Lord, where the women were weaving hangings for the Asherah. There they had houses or rooms within the house of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, doing this in God's temple. So with that being the case, we shouldn't be surprised if we see these types of activities even within churches. No, because this was the temple that it was happening in. This wasn't Babylon or uh, Assyria. This was Israel in the temple. So could you talk about that in relationship to either Christian cults, but then even what we wouldn't consider Christian cults, just typical Christian churches, do these kinds of activities happen? Do these kinds of activities happen in churches? Yes. yes. B- both among leadership and the people, the common people of the churches. Do these kinds of sins happen? Yes, indeed. For example... The Apostle Paul warned us of this in Acts chapter 20 when he addressed the Ephesian elders. When he addressed the elders, he's telling them that this will happen among you and in your churches. Acts chapter 20, 20, 28. 20, 28 to 31. Acts 20, 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. He calls on all of us, the elders, for yourselves, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Why? Because savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. They will come into the assembly of the church. Not only that, from among your own selves, men will arise. From among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. Don't be asleep. Don't doze. Be on the alert. And he did not cease to admonish each one with tears for three years. Right. He warned them for three years with tears. When was the last time a pastor admonished his people with tears for three years? Constantly telling them, be on the alert. There are false teachers everywhere. They're on the outside and they will come in. They are in the inside too and they will one day expose themselves to draw away the disciples after them. They're outside and inside. Be on the alert. 
right? The apostle said that. Speaking of inside the church, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 4, 3 to 4. 2 Timothy 4, 3. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. The teachers and their followers, the teachers and their disciples will turn us turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. They will preach myths and the people will want to hear those myths. They want to hear and they will preach it. It's both ways. The blind leading the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both of them will fall into a pit. Matthew 15, 14. Okay, now, the kind of sins that happen on the inside, will it also be these kinds of horrible sexual sins? Yes. 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5 mentions one such. Yep. 1 Corinthians 5. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. Yep. And you have become arrogant. And have not mourned instead in order that the one who had done this deed might be removed from your midst. Somebody has his brother's wife and you people won't act on it. You are arrogant. You won't remove him from your church. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Verse 18. Revelation 2.18, another church. Because people say, well, that just happened at Corinth. We're better than Corinth. No, (laughs) it also happened in Thyatira. And it happens everywhere because sinful, perverse human nature is the same. It's human nature. doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter where you live. It's human nature. 2.18, Revelation. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and His feet are like burnished bronze says this, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will cast her upon a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to to your deeds. Christ is a killer. Yep. He kills unrepentant sinners. No doubt. 
Right there, verse 23. I will kill her children with pestilence. I will kill. Christ will kill. Christ, he punishes unrepentant evildoers. So yes, it's common among the leaders and the followers in churches. It's everywhere. Yes. There are churches who want to follow the word, which is maybe two and a half churches. They want to follow the word, but then most churches just want to follow the world. They just want to do what everybody else is doing. And their leadership, even if they know better, they never preach better. Because if they were to preach better, then they would have only two and a half people in their church. They don't want that. They'd rather have two and a half thousand rather than two and a half people. Or they don't want to hear this, what you just spoke, because they don't want to hear where Christ kills anybody because Christ is of love. He doesn't do that kind of thing. Yes, yes. Christ is of love. They don't want to hear that he kills. Revelation 6.16 says that the wrath of the Lamb is intolerable. Nobody can stand before the wrath of the Lamb. Revelation 6.16. And Revelation 5.5 calls him the lion from the tribe of Judah. The lion. The lion is powerful, the king of the jungle, right? Nobody's going to be able to defeat the lion. But the lion can do whatever he wants. He can roar and he can devour. He can punish. He can do whatever he wants. That's Christ, the lion from the tribe of Judah. And Jesus himself said that the Father gave him authority to execute judgment. Yes. And Jesus said, The Father has given me authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. John 5. So He will judge the world in righteousness. I have a question about the line of Christ and God's sovereignty in a possible parallel to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. 2 Samuel 12, 13. Question on the line of Christ and the sovereignty of God. 2 Samuel 12, 13. Uh, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. So I'm comparing this to what we read in Genesis 38 and the the biblical uh, penalty for adultery is to be burned to death. Um, And David and Bathsheba committed adultery, but the Lord spared him, had mercy upon him, although we read that the sword divided David's household. That, that is the consequence of that. But uh, later, at the end of the chapter, Solomon is born uh, to David and Bathsheba, which is the line of Christ. Yes. So I'm trying to take that into today's lesson. Of uh, You said that most of these men were prophets that we're reading about, and that there, there was knowledge of the seed of Christ going through them. 
And so uh, many times whenever they deserve death but were spared like Tamar and, and Judah deserved death, do you think that there was any knowledge uh, on their part uh, that part of the reason why uh, they were not uh, judged immediately and put to death or, or something like that had to do with God's, not only his sovereignty through, you know, correct a lot in the prayers and poor, but uh, kind of showing uh, loving kindness and patience to his, his lineage. Yes, okay. In Genesis 38 and 2 Samuel 12, they don't die in Genesis 38, though they deserve it, and they don't die in 2 Samuel 12, though they deserve it. Why? Is it to preserve the line of Christ? And the answer is yes. In Genesis, I'm sorry, in 2 Samuel 12, because David was not put to death, and because Bathsheba was not put to death, Solomon was born from their, from their marriage in verses 24 to 25. And it says, Now the Lord loved him, loved Solomon, and sent word through Nathan the prophet, and he named him Jedidiah for the Lord's sake. Jedidiah means beloved of the Lord. And Solomon is in the line of Christ, according to Matthew chapter 1, 1 to 6, which we read a few minutes ago. Verse 6, from David to Solomon to Christ later. So that is a reason. Yes. And could the prophets, since these men in Genesis are prophets, could they or would they have known about these matters before they actually transpired in history? Yes. And we said something to that effect even in Genesis 35 when they first returned Earlier, a few years earlier, when they returned to the land of Canaan, remember that on the way to Bethlehem, or Ephrath, Bethlehem is known as Ephrath or Ephrathah, on the way there, Rachel died, correct? And why is the place named, and why is a pillar raised up like this? Of course, for Rachel's grave. But remember what we said about verse 21, the tower of the flock or the tower of Ader. Ader means flock. Why is it called that and why is that noted? Does it have to do only with Rachel's death or something else? We connected this to Micah chapter 4 verse 8 and Micah 5.2 as well with Matthew 2, 1 to 6, and Luke 2, 1 to 20. And what happens when we compare Micah 4, 8, 5, 2, Matthew 2, 1 to 6, and Luke 2, 1 to 20? When we compare these verses, we find that even Micah anticipates Christ coming to this locality. To this place of the Tower of Ader. Micah 4 8, Micah 5 2. Micah 5 2 is the famous Bethlehem Ephrathah, too small to be counted among the clans of Judah. From you shall go forth a ruler 
whose origins are from the days of eternity. And that is Messianic, Micah 5.2. Well, where was this announcement of Christ made to the shepherds? Remember we said this is called the tower of the flock because the shepherds made use of the tower for their flock. In Luke 2, Luke 2, 1 to 20, remember that the angel appeared. The angel and uh, a heavenly host appeared. And then it says in 2, 15, And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Bethlehem and this tower are not too far away. And Bethlehem was his birthplace, but the announcement was made to the shepherds at this tower or near this tower. Okay, that's in the Bible. We see some connections right there in the Bible. But outside the Bible, the unbelieving Jews, the Jews who have these texts of the translation of the Old Testament, they have the translation from Hebrew to Aramaic of this passage in Genesis 35. This is what they say. The unbelieving Jews who have a translation with brief commentary of the Hebrew Old Testament of Genesis 35. I read this. Uh, there's two of them, and I'll read both. It says, in one, in these translations in Aramaic, they're called Targums. So the Targum Yerushalmi 1 says this, quote, The Tower of Ader, the place from which it is to be, the King Mashiach, will be revealed at the end of the days. King Messiah, they say. King Christ. He's going to be revealed there at the tower. The Tower of Ader. Then another one, which is called uh, Targum uh, Yonathan ben Uziel, says, quote, The place from which the King Messiah will be revealed in the end of days. Unquote. Their prophets had taught them enough that this remnant of truth was known among them from ancient days. And that's what they say here about Genesis 35. That's why this tower is mentioned. That's why Micah quotes, uh, cites it in Micah 4.8 and relates it to Christ in Micah 5.2 yeah. and Matthew 2 and Luke 2 both also related to Micah and this tower. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's very possible that they knew much more no that is not written down explicitly as it is in the New Testament. However, even in the New Testament where Relatively speaking, it's more explicit than here. Relatively speaking, it's more explicit in the New Testament than here. People often say, if we had the clarity of the New Testament, 
than so many people would believe. Well, in the days of Christ, his incarnation, they had the perfect prophet, they had the perfect teacher, they had the perfect miracle worker, they had the perfect example of godliness, and they still refused to believe. People are wrong when they assume that if it were only clear enough, then we would believe. No, clarity isn't the issue. The issue is the dead heart. And if you have the Holy Spirit who quickens the dead heart, makes the heart alive, He explains things that to the unbeliever are unclear, but to the believer are very clear. So even when people say the Old Testament is unclear, I say, it's quite clear to me. What's wrong? What's wrong with you? It's clear enough to me. I know what it's saying. Why don't you know? And the usual problem is they don't have the Holy Spirit. And they don't read the Scriptures carefully. The Old Testament itself, they don't read carefully. They don't read the New Testament carefully, though they claim to know the New Testament. And they know nothing of extra-biblical literature, whether historical literature or modern literature. They know nothing of the scholarship to put these pieces together. They know nothing, yet they claim to know everything. Oh, yes, yes, that's right. If someone, if God would send somebody from the dead, then they would believe. That's what they say. That's what they say. Okay, any more questions? Thank you.